Broadcasting from behind the Second Amendment Iron Curtain in the shadows of the New York City skyline, this is Gun For Hire Radio, the voice of one million New Jersey gun owners, with your hosts, Sandy Berardi and Master Firearms Trainer, Anthony Calandra. Live from the land that freedom forgot, the most listened to Second Amendment broadcast in the nation. Welcome to it. So it's January 14th, show 660, and uh, we're graced with our, by our, in our presence, our 2A historian, Jay Factor, is on the show. And before I bring Jay on, I just want to say something that Jay lives, uh, I guess it's central Jersey, and uh, his kids come up all the time, and they come up all the time without their dad. And I, I got to tell you, I'm not uh, kissing ass, but you, you and your wife did a great job raising those boys because uh, they're they're all young men now, and they're responsible and they're respectful. And I break their chops just like I break your chops, Jay. And uh, they're you know they they like walk this thin line. Should I joke back, or is he's an elder? <laughs> I probably I probably shouldn't. So of course I exploit the shit out of that. You know what I mean? Because they they don't know what ground they stand on but every time they defer on the side of respect so i just want to commend you because it's not easy to raise kids today and all three of them turned out good man you guys did a great job so i just wanted to put that out there first well thank you and right back at you because they love going up there and and so i remember when curtis was six I went out and bought a Henry Mini Bolt 22 long rifle single shot bolt action. And I started to teach him how to shoot like my dad started teach uh teach me how to shoot and then as he got older uh we took him to the range and we moved into different calibers and you get to a point as a dad where I can't do any more training for them, right? Mm-hmm, they've mm-hmm. they've gotten to the point where they They've utilized all of my knowledge, and but they want more. And so <clears throat> they love signing up for your classes. They love it. Like, Vaughn was just up there. Was it, was it holster draw two or he, one, of the, one of the combat handgun classes? He came home. He didn't stop talking about it for 48 hours. Absolutely love it. Beautiful. And so when you see these guys up there, I think one of the other um, things that you always say is, um, each one reach one, mm-hmm. right? If you notice, like every time they come up there, they've now got two or three or four guys that they bring in up there with them that I know I know one of their friends just took the C-Care protocol test up there last week, um, and he's applying for a permit. I know Curtis was up there last week to renew his qualification, and he, both, both he and Vaughn, by the way, Vaughn took C-Care because he's going to apply for his carry permit, um, both of them said it was an excellent class, and they learned stuff in that class. So, um, right Good. back at you. Yeah, they uh, they're constantly bringing new people, so they are definitely doing their part by each one reaching one. So, so you did good. My compliments to the chef, uh, the chefs. Excuse me, it was a team effort. Uh, and with that, I want you guys, uh, everybody listening to the show. If you're new to the show, J Factor is one of the uh, heavy lifters. Uh, involved putting his time and his money where his mouth is, been fighting to get his carry permit for many years. Now it's post-brewing, and uh, he's definitely uh, 
I think Rosie gave him the, uh, the moniker of the Artue historian from CNJFO. Not sure, but uh, he's one of our guys out there that is uh, constantly uh, doing his scholarly duties, even though that wasn't his professional upbringing. But it's been his calling in life because we all do our part, whether we donate money, whether we bring people to the range or whatever. So, so Jay, post-Bruin, you know, we're, we have our lawsuit churning for Carrie. We have our uh, assault weapons, uh, evil features. We have our mag case. And there's so many other cases in the lower courts. And you are constantly commenting on them on uh, the New Jersey Firearms Owner, Owner Syndicate on Facebook. I, I want you to enlighten people, especially people that don't have Facebook. Enlighten people on your feelings and the tact and what we should be doing to fight. Not, not to mention the, the thousands of letters you've helped people write whose rights were trampled on when they were trying to get their FID card, pistol permit, or carry permit. So without further ado, the next hour is yours. I'm going to go make a, a salami sandwich. <laughs> we, before the show, we were talking about a guy from my town, and I'm not going to use any names, but he's one of he's one of the guys that has just become a member of your range, and he qualified before C-Care. He was a HCQ2 modified guy. Um he yep. came over to my house the other night. He, on the 27th of December, he was at 136 days for his carry permit. Yeah, he, he started at August 13th, 2023. Unbelievable. So, one of the things the government doesn't understand yet is that the reading of Bruin... And I think we all need to understand when we talk about the 43 other states and then we talk about the six states and the District of Columbia, that New Jersey is one of those six states specifically enumerated in Bruin <coughs> as an outlier. And that's really important because one of the things that I think the government hasn't realized yet is what... Bruin is allowing, and, and I say that because it doesn't actually fit into the 1791 formula. What Bruin is allowing a background check to establish law-abiding responsible citizen. And that, that law-abiding responsible citizen should be in quotes. That comes from Heller at 2821. Now, if you remember... All the way back to the first time I was on your show with Mark Cheeseman, the case-by-case -case determinations. It's not for the government, the third branch of government, to decide on a case-by-case -case basis whether the right is really worth insisting upon. Mm -hmm. And then it talks about law-abiding, responsible citizens being able to use their second... Second Amendment rights. And so the test on the next page of Heller, which is 2822, was assuming Dick Anthony, or assuming Heller is not disqualified from his Second Amendment rights, the district must allow him to register his handgun, that is 2C58-3, and must issue him a permit to carry it, that's 2C58-4. Now there were three complaints in Heller. One was the carry permit, so that if you go back to Heller and search 4405 and 4406, you'll read that it was indeed a carry permit case because they didn't have the 2C39-6 exemption in D.C. So in order to carry 
the registered handgun in his home, he needed a permit to carry it anywhere in the district. But the test that Bruin is now allowing is that Heller 28-22 disqualified test. And so technically what the Supreme Court is not is allowing is they, they don't even think, and if you go back, and, and this is a little bit more complicated that we have time to get into, but if you go back and listen to the oral transcript in Heller, there was a discussion of whether licensing was, was constitutional at all. I don't think the Supreme Court thinks that licensing is constitutional. I think they're just allowing this background check. And, and why do we know that it's not constitutional, right? Because there were no fingerprints in 1791 right Mm -mm. and and we also know um samuel adams and john hancock were not going to go get fingerprinted and have a background check from general gage like we know these things (laughs) right right, sandy true true so they're allowing this background check now What's really important about Bruin and what's really important about understanding that New Jersey has already been determined to be an outlier is that the Second Amendment is not a right to keep arms with a Third Amendment of a right to bear arms. The Second Amendment is a right to keep and bear arms. And so once you've gotten the FID card that's your qualified disqualified card that should be your carry permit Mm -hmm. and it really and i think we're going to see this in the over the course of the next three or four years that that 2c 58-3a permit to purchase a handgun is out that's gone okay because that was a novel theory brand new experimental law by Arthur J. Sills in 1966, right? So we get the FID card in 66. We get the permit to purchase a handgun in 1966. We had, and we'll get, we're going to get into this because it's important, we had the carry permit for concealed only, which is very ironic, uh, in 1924. And we'll get into that. But um, when we talk about the guy at 136 days, you and I have never done a show on the Shuttlesworth rule, but I think we need to spend two minutes on this. So Do it. Do it. Do it. So Fred Shuttlesworth is a civil rights leader. Martin Luther King calls him the most important um, man in the civil rights era. So... He applies for a permit to march in Birmingham, Alabama, and they're not going to give a black man a permit to march in Birmingham, Alabama. So they're like, you can't have a permit. He says, I want to apply. He applies and they kind of laugh at him and they won't issue him the permit. And he and he inquires about if his permit's ready. And they're like, no, the date you picked is too close. We can't give you the permit. We're not going to give you the permit. And, 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 And let's face it, like. This is 2023. We're going to be in 2024 tomorrow. Times are very different in the mid-60s, right? And so when they're speaking to him, they're not polite in any sense of the imagination. No. They're treating him like like a dog. I'm sure they're talking down to him, right? Right. And so to go back to what you say all the time, like, it's still... 
it still exists, like right? Um, quote, we don't want those people to have guns, right? You yep. said that all the time. So this is yep. what's going on. But we don't want, quote, those people, unquote, to march in our streets. And so they don't give them a permit, and Fred Shuttlesworth has the march anyway, and they arrest him. And when they arrest him, it's physical. Like, they're rough on this guy. And so he loses in court. It goes all the way to the Alabama Supreme Court. He loses in the uh, Alabama Supreme Court because you have to get a license, and he loses. So it goes to the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court says, hey, the First Amendment is a constitutional right. We understand time and place laws of why you have to have a license, but when it comes to a constitutional right, the government has to issue the permit in a timely fashion. And so... <clears throat> If you go read that note number nine in Bruin, when they cite Shuttlesworth, they talk about definite standards. And so what we need to understand, and, and listen, we totally got screwed on this one, but this 90-day limit for 2C58-4 permit-to-carry applications has to, has to be done within that 90 days or it violates the definite standard of the Shuttlesworth rule. So what I'm thinking and the reason that I copy you on these Shuttlesworth rule letters and specifically you just got one from this uh, 136 day guy is that if one of these big Second Amendment groups decides to take up a couple of these people who are like let's face it 136 days is now 145 days. He's 1.5 times the limit, right? Yep. So if they start taking up these cases, they can prove that this law is unconstitutional just because these guys aren't getting it done in 90 days. And and Sandy, let's, I know you've had this problem when you were getting yours with this guy who wanted a, a letter from your police chief, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... That's actually written in the law. Like, they're not allowed to ask for anything else that's not in the statute. So, and Nappin's had, Nappin's had five or six cases that this is actually cited on that there's a clause in 2C58-3 that the, the issuing authority is not allowed to require any, any other papers, fees, nothing. And so... If one of these Second Amendment groups gets some of these guys who are at 145, 150 days together and takes the state to federal court, like, you could make the law unconstitutional just on that. And then the argument is not, oh, we want our guys to have a permit. The argument is, our guys already have the permit. The 2C58-3B firearms identification card is your law-abiding responsible citizen card. You've already been fingerprinted. You've already been issued that SBI number. And so it's the government's job to, to find that you're disqualified, and now it's super easy, right? So let's just, let's just, let's just say I don't have a carry permit. I got my FID card in 2000, and I go down... Tuesday to get my carry permit. The investigation is simple. All they have to do is type in my SBI number to the state police database. And yeah. if it comes back that I haven't been arrested, that's it. Right. The investigation's over. Right, Sandy? Exactly. And yes. so 
That's not it. We know that. (laughs) Well, and here's the problem. That's not it because from 1924, and we're going to get into this, to 1966 and then 1985, 1986, and 1991 are huge numbers for us. The cops just start making their own rules. These rules don't aren't written anywhere. But what happens is, let's say Sandy goes to get his permit, right? And so, what are you dealing with the state state police barracks? Is that right? Yes, Sandy? state police barracks. Okay. Yeah. That guy doesn't know the law. My chief has told me we're not lawyers. They heard it from the guy who was there when they got there as rookies. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. And that guy, that guy's a little older than us, but he wasn't born in 1924. He wasn't born, um, he wasn't 21 working on the force in 1966. He didn't know the law either. So he learned it from another old guy who was about to retire, who learned it in 66, in right? And so these guys have no idea what the rules are. In my, in my Superior court case in 2020, the chief admitted he doesn't have a manual. These guys don't have a manual. So we, we have to start going after these. We have to start going after the government on this, on these rules. And I, I, I think it's easy to go after the 90 day rule because from 1924 to 2022 is 60 days, right? It was 60 days with the police chief and then 30 days in the court. And when they took the court out, Somehow, miraculously, they decided they had to give the judges 30 days back to the police chief and make it 90 days. That's ridiculous. You can't have a law in the books from 1924 to 1922 that's 60 days to, to do a permit, and then all of a sudden, 2022, it has to be, they, they need 90 days. That's ridiculous. That's an easy one to beat, I think. So, let me... Let me move away from the Shuttlesworth rule a little bit. And I think it's important, and we'll come back to it in another show, and I think we're going to come back to it a lot. But I, I want to go over um, A769, right? Is that A4769? Yes. A4769, right. I want to go over that. So I think... I think the government, and when I say that, I think New Jersey made a technical error. And I've asked Jack Pyle and Teresa whether they think this is a technical error or, or whether um, Danielson was playing three-card Monty with us and thought he could sneak it in. But I, I, I want to I wanna, uh, quote some page number confusion for you in the text of uh, A4769. And this is important because this is now written in the pamphlet law, right? So if you go on to the New Jersey Legislator website and go to A4769 and download the PDF of the pamphlet law, this is actually written in the law. And so I'm just going to quote the text. So this is um, D. So when you start reading it, it goes like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, down the line, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. I know Sandy hates it, but I have to do it to get it perfect. <laughs> do it. Go ahead. In, in Bruin, the Supreme Court recognized that states may prohibit individuals who are not law-abiding responsible citizens from carrying firearms in public. Right? We just went over that. And endorse the use of licensing requirements for carrying a handgun for self-defense. This is the important part. 
Although the court did not provide a complete list of lawful requirements, it specifically cited a background check, mental health check, training in firearms handling, and in laws regarding the use of force, among other possible requirements as permissible. Okay, and I'm going to end it right there. And I have to throw a caveat in here. Like, we started this show talking about training. I fully believe in going... And it doesn't have to be gun for hire. It can be your guy anywhere. wherever, anywhere you live, right? To get people who are better shooters than you and to take classes and to learn how to do things. And the reason I say this is because <clears throat> I always thought I was a really good shooter until I started, started shooting defensive pistol with 25 other guys in the room. And sometimes I get smoked. <laughs> I mean, really. By, by three or four or five seconds. And so I worked my I worked myself up into getting into like fourth or fifth or sixth place on a pretty regular basis, but it took me a while to get there. I really had to work at it. And so I think one of the things that guys need to understand is like, if you're sitting at home in your multi-cam pajamas watching Jason Bourne on TV, you're not half as good as you think you are when you get into a room with 25 other guys who can actually shoot. And that's why the courses matter. Like, of course, we can all safely load our handgun and unload our handgun. Of course, we can all stand in a port and shoot at 15 yards. I get it. It's the other stuff. Like, Vaughn was telling me he was laying on the ground and had to reload with one hand. Like, it's that kind of stuff that pushes you out of your comfort level that makes you a better shooter. And then you realize, oh, my God. My belt is set wrong. My holster is set wrong. I can't even lay on my right hip and shoot, right? Mm -hmm. And so you start to learn what makes you a better shooter. So I have to throw that caveat out there because I don't want people to think I'm against training. I'm very pro-training. And, and again, I understand these shooters, instructors, make their living doing this. I would never do my job for free. I have no problem paying for training. That's what that's the free market economy. Someone has a skill and is better than you and will teach you that skill. He doesn't have to do it for free. There's no Second Amendment right that says trainers have to provide this service for free. That's ridiculous. Now, that being said, I now read Bruin that training is illegal. The Sea Care Protocol is illegal. That being said, the old HCQ-1 was illegal. HCQ-2 modified was illegal. And I'll tell you why that is. The phrase training in firearms handling and laws regarding the use of force, among other possible requirements, that's not from Bruin. So what happens is Bruin ends at page 2161. And then Kavanaugh starts his occurrence. And it's, it's only like two paragraphs on 2161. But then on page 2162, Kavanaugh in his, in his concurrence says, training in firearms handling and, and in laws regarding the use of force among other possible requirements. Now, he's getting that from the Arizona amicus brief. Right, but that's how he's reading it. That's not what Bruin, that's not what Bruin said. Bruin said you're allowed to have a background check. So, 
whether Danielson snuck that in there or whether that's an error, that's a really easy one to attack. The training, and I'm not just talking about C-Care protocol, all training requirements are illegal. Now let's go back, Sandy. We were just talking about John Hancock and Sam Adams and General Gage. Do, right. are, do we think that those guys were going to go qualify with, <laughs> with, right. with General Gage? Like, that's absurd. It just didn't happen. When Dunmore steals the powder from the Williamsburg Powder House, Patrick Henry marches 400 of the, of the Hanover Independent Militia to Williamsburg to get the powder back. You think those guys qualified with Dunmore? Absolutely not. It just didn't happen. And, and we talked about the circular letter, right, banning gunpowder yep. and weapons. We've talked about that on a previous show. That's when we talked about John Langdon in Fort William and Mary. None of the founders got that permit. Not one. So the easiest way the easiest way to understand why qualifications are illegal is that Danielson lied and Bruin didn't say that. So it, it's still written in the pamphlet law, like it's right there in black and white. So Let's move on to uh, yeah. All while you're looking that up, all training, shooting a Glock shooting sports match, going to a, a plinking match, going to uh -huh. any type of match or competition or training. And I, I'm also I've been saying for years at Gun for Hire, there is no dogmatic way or style. You should be taking Gun for Hire classes. You should go to Rock. You should go here. You should go there. You should. Take and get different aspects and different presentations and right. different tacks. And everywhere you go, you learn a little something a little bit different. You always walk away going, hmm. And the biggest thing, Jay, I have to tell you, is you hit the nail on the head, especially with our holster draw class. In our holster draw class, we have the first class is holster draw, and then the second class is drawing from concealment. That's probably where your son was laying on the ground. Uh, the first thing people realize in the, in the preliminary holster draw class is about 30% walk away going, my equipment's shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why we all have a closet filled with holsters because yes. they look yes. great when you buy yeah. them. And, yeah. Yeah. So, it, and it's a great time to learn that your equipment is shit when you're in a holster draw class surrounded by peers and instructors who can help you and advise you, you know, rather than a salesperson trying to steer you into a certain holster that might not be best for you, but it's the highest profit margin, right. uh, you know, or it has the prettiest logo on it or something. So, yes, I'm, I'm also against I do a constitutional right. We should not have mandatory training. And I believe that as a Second Amendment advocate. But as a gun person, train, 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 because you need it. Because if the shit hits the fan, you're going to be glad that you had that training because you're going to fall into the lowest common denominator of your training, the lowest level. And that's what happens to everybody. So without further ado, go ahead, Jay. And, and this is great that you say this because, like, you run a business and financially for you to have government mandated training might be a benefit to you because you would have more people roll through there but that's not your position your position no. is you should get training on your own and and yep. that matters because in the laws um at the time of the founding they talked about doing your own independent training to get ready for militia service 
So like that actually existed. Training on your own without going to militia duty existed in the 1755, 17, I'm sorry, 1775, 1776. All right, Sandy, when we first met, one of the first cases that we talked about was in Priest, 1990. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, okay. oh, yeah. All right, so I've been on your show a few times, and we've talked about priests a lot. To the point where, you, like, you guys know the name Priest off off the top of your head. Right. Yes. So, in Priest, the Supreme Court, and, and this is really good, because this is like perfect Sun Tzu using the enemy's strengths against them. The Supreme Court says that New Jersey's gun control laws are a careful grid of regulatory provisions. <laughs> and And that close attention must be paid to the specifics of each provision, right? So, now, that's not from Priest. That's from a case called Harmon. But there is a grid, and I don't think everybody understands how the grid works. So, we've got 2C39-5, which is, and, and we, it's talked about on the show, and it's talked about on Syndicate a lot. New Jersey really doesn't have a Second Amendment right to bear arms. New Jersey has an exemption from illegal carrying of firearms, right? And so the the statute that matters for us is 2C39-5, which is unlawful possession of weapons. And so the first, the first clause, or the second clause, 2C39-5B, is that you will not be charged with unlawful possession if you have first obtained a permit to carry as provided in 2C58-4. Okay? So, if you're a civilian, Sandy, Jay, one of my sons, and you go for a permit, that's your only way to get the exemption from unlawful possession of a weapon right. okay now what happens in 1985 is there's a case called Tennessee v Garner okay and it's an unlawful use of force case and and the question is Garner and Garner is um, when a police officer may use deadly force to arrest a fleeing fleeing criminal suspect right so it's government liability qualified immunity, and possible unconstitutional municipal conduct stemming from a policy or custom, okay? That case comes out. New Jersey's Attorney General, Erwin Kimmelman, announces on June 18, 1985, that all police officers in New Jersey have to qualify with their, with their revolvers twice a year. Now, this is a super interesting story because what I do is I go back and search all the old newspapers and read all the old stories. Very interesting. There are cops in 1985 who've been on the force for 19 years, haven't qualified in 15 years, haven't qualified in 19 years. The, and these guys are livid. They don't want to qualify twice a year. They don't want to qualify once a year. They think they're professionals. The attorney general sticks to his guns. Okay. There's nothing written in law. It's an attorney general directive. But it enters the statute in 1986 that all police officers 
have to qualify with their handguns twice a year. So this is 1986. And that is when the Police Training Commission gets involved and the Police Training Commission comes up with the course that all of the police officers have to qualify with. Okay, so what you need to understand is that the administrative code only comes out every five years. So the the code that has the police training course, which is HCQ1, that we know, we know is substantially similar to HCQ1. But that HCQ1 police training commission course is not in the, in the administrative code in 1986, probably because they missed the deadline, right? It was later, it was later in the June is halfway through the year, so they didn't have time to put it in 1986 administrative code. The, the law doesn't contain 2C39-6J. If you go to 1985, there is no 2C39-6J. And then if you go to 1986, there is a 2C39-6J. And so 2C39-6J is all of the government agents. And when I say government agents, it's not just government agents. It's like quasi law enforcement people like transit cops train police mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all of the you know these guys because they all qual yep. qualify with you right yep those those people are now exempt from 2c39-5 because of this 2c39-6j exemption but in order to qualify for the exemption, they have to pass the Police Training Commission qualification course, which we know is HCQ1, right? And so the way the law is designed, it's designed for law enforcement personnel and then these quasi-law enforcement personnel, right? The guy who works for um, the, liquor, the, the, the liquor board. Uh, all of these guys, the dog catcher, all these guys who are listed in 2C39-6, these government agents have this exemption if they qualify on this police training commission course. This thing doesn't enter the administrative code until 1991. And so we know this because, and I'm, I'm going to give you a page number and your people should write it down and you could go to the New Jersey library and look this up. 1991 New Jersey Register, 20, 2258, 23 NJR 2258, that's the page number, so 23 is the volume, volume, that's 1991, this is the first time that qualifications enters the code, but here's the really wild part of the story, in 1991, that's when urgent necessity, the Sicardi rule, enters the code. So they're actually, it's like 1354-2.2 and 1354-2.3. So 2.2 is no one's allowed to get a 2C58-4 permit unless they provide urgent necessity, which is designed, and Cheeseman loves this one, which is defined as a special threat to the applicant's life, previous attacks, 
and there's there's another there's another oh documented threats right we've talked about this in, in the past yep. right and what you said napping always says you have to be dead before you get the permit but but that's the way priests read and so what what they do in the new jersey register which is how you get stuff into the new jersey code what they do is they don't follow the administrative procedures act they just put it in there as precedent from in reprise so it actually says in the in the register we're putting new jersey court precedent from in reprise into the into 1354-2.2 you must have urgent need is defined as urgent necessity documented threats previous attacks and a special a special need for self-protection so in 91 they're not going to issue a permit to anybody. We know this, right? And like, I'm the wrong guy to talk to. The oh no, New Jersey was issuing permits. I got denied by the Sicardi rule in 2000 and 2008. I got denied by the Sicardi rule in 2020. I also worked with Cheeseman, who got denied by the Sicardi rule two times, and I worked with Gillard, who let's face it, you guys know John Gillard. John Gillard actually well. met. He actually met the requirements of the Sicardi rule, and they still didn't give him a permit. But the point is this, the code in 1991 had nothing to do with Sandy or Jay or my kids or my kids' friends getting a 2C58-4 permit. This was training for police officers to avoid government liability in excessive use of force cases that they could say that their police officers qualified twice a year and not only were they trained to use their handgun properly but they were taught the use of force now why does that matter right you're like jay what what do you do with all this useless data knowledge? it's well it's super important data yes because sure. We gotta go back to Heller. You guys have heard this, and there's two pages in Heller, so it's twenty-one sixteen and twenty-one seventeen. And so Heller says this is not to cast doubt on long-standing laws, right? New Jersey has held for years, and it's it's in my case, it's in Cheeseman's case, it's in Gillard's case. It's a, who's the guy? Who was the guy that um, NGRPC ran with the with the ATM machines? Rogers. Uh, it was Rogers. It was in Rogers. 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 Yeah. It was in Rogers' case. They they're trying to claim that their law is long-standing because it's been on the book since 1924. Well, that, this is ridiculous. There was no live fire qualification in 1924, and there certainly there certainly wasn't. Uh, concealed carry holster requirement in 1924 that's all new from 2022 and so the point and why this matters is that if they put live fire qualifications in the code with the sicardi rule they were they weren't designed for 2c58-4 permits these are designed for law enforcement officers and law enforcement, quasi-law enforcement officers operating under 2C39-6J. And so what that means is it's not long-standing, right? You guys know you guys know the date. What's the date to be long-standing? 1791. 
1791. This is 200 years later. And it's not even for Sandy and Jay. It's for policemen. Right? And yeah. so the confusion is... Right? There's a saying in construction, to a hammer, everything looks like nails. Yep. But to policemen, everything about guns looks like a law enforcement issue. So they knew they weren't issuing two C-58-4 permits. That qualification was just for them. But they didn't make a 2C39-6J exemption permit for these guys. They would just issue... 2C58-4 carry permits. And so that's why from 1991 until present, everyone thinks, oh, civilians have to pass this, this police training commission course, which started as HCQ1, went to HCQ2 modified, and then became CCARE protocol. Because that's what the police were doing. And yep. so everybody got lumped in there in in the administrative code in 1354 everyone had to go do what the cops were doing and so if we understand that then the law really starts for live fire training qualifications for civilians really starts in 2022 which means it's not long-standing okay nope. so that that's really really important to understand okay Let's Jay, we gotta hold off right there. Right. I wanna do housekeeping. Hold that thought. Twenty twenty two is when it started. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, support those who support you. Jay is quite active with the Coalition of New Jersey Firearms Owners, uh, CNJFO. If you go and Google them, you could make a donation and say, I heard Jay on Gun for Hire Radio, so I'm donating $10,000, $25, or $10, whatever it is. They're always writing fat checks to ANJRPC for our legal defense funds. Uh, and they're always hosting great events. And Rosie and the team are everywhere. Also, you wanna if you're on Facebook, the New Jersey Firearms Owners Syndicate, uh, headed by Mark Cheeseman, who's also been on the show. He's another heavy hitter. Uh, don't forget NYTAC Defense, nytacdefense.com, uh, Legal Defense Fund in New York. And then, of course, in the other 49 states, especially New Jersey, I'm amazed every day how many people come walking in that own guns and don't have U.S. Law Shield. I mean, for $12.50 to $25 a month, you can get a full legal defense fund. Remember, we're living in a state that hates you. You're the third tier. You're not a female professional wrestler passing through Atlantic City and getting caught. They're like, well, she didn't have any criminal intent, and she didn't mean to do it, so we're going to let her go. You're not going to get that kind of service okay your ass is going to jail so uslawshield.com use gun for hire one word please uh crime proof think like a criminal and beat them at their own game and of course decoding firearms by john petrolino are both available on amazon kindle gun for hire pro shop everywhere books are sold as well as aberdeen guns in monmouth county if you go down there tell vin he needs to take his wife out to dinner more okay uh, don't forget my doctor, Optimal Health Wellness NJ, Dr. Joseph Sambatero and his assistant, Holly. Concierge medicine. Holly comes to my job and draws blood. I text the doctor when my prescription's up for renewal or I need an exam. We do a Zoom meeting. And he takes care of me anywhere I am. No more going to stinky doctor's offices with little kids spitting on their parents, throwing germs all over the place. 
Lake Island Rifle and Pistol Club in Carteret, New Jersey, is looking for junior rifle members aged 12 to 18 years old to learn firearm safety and to compete in small bore and air rifle competition. Visit lakeis.org. If you're in a Scotch Plains area, please check out Zen Float Center, zenfloatcenter.com. Sharon Decker. Since last week's show, Sharon did have a few people show up on Magic Mushrooms, and they floated, and they said they had a good time in spite of what I said would happen. Uh, they might go schizo. Uh, News2A.com, N-E-W-S, number two, letter A.com, News2A.com, a great source for all your 2A news. They're on X slash Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, obviously their website, these guys guys are everywhere my buddy john valenti on the varsity firearms podcast is a very important uh podcast you should be listening to again standstrong.biz 465 pro 2a businesses products or services all i get is positive feedback all i get is feedback from the people listing on there all of you should be reaching out to fod1 at optonline.net John Acapinti and his son are the ones that are running and hosting the Friends of the NRA Dinner, which will be October 2nd at the Tides Estate in North Halden this year. Uh, Jay was one of the speakers at last year's NRA Dinner. He brought his lovely wife there, and they had a good time, and he spoke about uh, two-way historian things. I was the keynote speaker. It's going to be a great night. It is October 2nd of 2024. Jay, I believe everybody's had advance notice of the date. Do you, do you think so? We, it's amazing. We have to remind them every week, though, because I was given like I haven't shut my phone off yet. I haven't shut my email off yet. And I haven't shut that that I hate that Facebook messenger. But good God, yeah. the amount of people that are like, oh, if I had known, I would have gone to that. Like, c- yeah. come on, come on. It's man. good. That's going to happen the, the day after the dinner when we post pictures or I post a video of me or you speaking. When No one told me about that. It was a, I, anyway. Anyway, back to 2022, Jay. Hit it. Just just on that, my wife liked that so much that she wants to get a table and bring uh, – she wants to fill it with our non-shooter friends to get them Beautiful. in there. I and love remember, your wife. God bless. And, and you remember how you guys were making the joke about winning a firearm? Yes. Which, which is buying a firearm for more than you could buy it for at the store and then being super excited to go up and get it? Yes. She, she, uh, she won a – <laughs> like like a twenty two caliber cowboy action gun, and she's so happy that yeah. she got this. So uh, um, it was all for the cause. She overpaid, aka yeah, exactly, one. exactly. Like that's the that's the object of going to these dinners. It's a fundraiser. Support those who support you. Yep. And I thought I thought your speech was amazing that night. By the way, but the guys at my table, uh, I I was kind enough to be invited by Joe Sapienza and. My, the guys at my table were phenomenal. Like, we had great conversations. It was just a really good night. I think everybody has to understand this is not just about being a fundraiser, but this is about congregating with like-minded people and discussing stuff that we're all interested in. 100%. Thank you. Hit so let's go, let's, go, let's go back to that, um, that Heller 21-16-21-17. So the presumptively... Um, the long-standing prohibitions is on 2116, and then if you continue the sentence, it flips the page to 2117, and then there's note 26. And I think your your listeners really ha- should write note 26 down and go on to Heller, copy it, and put it on like 
a little business card for the, and keep it in their wallet because Note 26 is presumptively lawful regulations, okay? Now, we've talked about this before, but this is really important when we're discussing C-Care protocol and, and quite frankly, really important when we're discussing um, the Jensen case and, and the ANJR PC case, right? So um, Dan's case and David's case, which are actually one case. We're going to go over this again. So the 1924 concealed carry law, and it's important everyone understands this, was for concealed carry only. You didn't need a permit if you carried openly. And you were allowed to open carry from 1924 up until 2022. The difference was um, you had to have a permit after 1966 to carry openly. But you could still carry openly. Okay? So... July 2nd, 1776, which is the New Jersey Constitution of 1776, to 2022, to December of 2022, you could carry openly in New Jersey. And, by the way, um, from 1776 to 1991, you didn't need any live fire qualifications for that. All right, so the guy who drafts the law in the assembly. His name is Henry Hirschfield. They called it the Hirschfield Anti-Revolver Bill. Now, you remember we were talking about exemptions? He had exemptions for sheriffs and jailers and other kind of guys written into the law, but he left out constables. I don't know if we still have constables, but apparently in 1924 we had constables, okay? And so these guys their constable union writes a nasty letter to the Patterson Evening News that the law is stupid and Hirschfield left them out. Now they have to go get permits and it's a pain in the ass. Hirschfield reads it. So this is like this is like the Facebook of the day is writing letters to the editor about your opinion. So Hirschfield replies in his own letter to the editor and says the object of the law was to prevent the possession of deadly weapons in public places by irresponsible and criminal classes while at the same time permitting those entitled to have them to secure a permit good for five years at no cost. So think about that. The first permit was five years and it was free. Nice. Yeah, exactly. So, you guys, are you guys young enough that, like, you used to wake up on Saturday mornings and watch Schoolhouse Rock? Do you, do you uh, remember that? No. How a, I, how I, a bill becomes a law? You never saw that? I uh, missed it, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. Too old, okay, I'm right, too old yeah, for yeah. that. You know what I'm talking about, Sandy? Yeah. So, so, like, most most people who grew up in the 70s and the 80s remember this Schoolhouse Rock. And it was, like, a 30-minute thing on how a bill becomes a law. It was a cartoon, but it was on every yeah. Sunday. Okay. Hirschfield drafts the 1924 law. It goes to the Senate. There's a guy named Clarence Case. Clarence Case puts 25 amendments on it. It goes back to the Assembly. The Assembly approves the 25 amendments. The clerk of the Assembly makes a mistake and sends the wrong version to Governor Silzer. That's the governor in 1924. The clerk of the Assembly sends the original version to Silzer, and that's the version that Silzer signs, not the version with Clarence Case's 25 amendments. So when the law is printed, Clarence Case is trying to tell his friend how to get a carry permit, and he's looking at the law, and he's like, "These, my 25 amendments aren't in there. It gets to Attorney General Katzenbach. He says the law is illegal because the governor signed 
the original assembly version and not the version with the 25 Senate, Senate amendments. This thing goes back and forth for weeks. Unreal. Katzenbach changes his opinion somewhere halfway through and says the Supreme Court's going to have to rule on it. It's not illegal. Now, there's a Supreme Court justice. His name is Black. He's up in Patterson. He says, I'm not going to issue any carry permits until we know whether this law is valid. Right? And, and there's a law in the books. We've talked about this before. It's called Inri Jago in New Jersey. If a law is created by the Assembly and has Senate amendments and the government or the governor doesn't sign the proper version, it's not a law. It happened before um, with like some electrical utilities law or something. And the, the ruling by the Supreme Court is if the wrong version was signed by the governor, it's just not a law. It's not bad law. It just doesn't exist. And so Black says, well, I'm going to have to take a look at the law, but I'm leaving for Europe on a cruise. Now, I know the boat he went on. I know where he went in Europe. <laughs> I know where he was in France. I know where he was in Italy because these old newspapers print these stories as if people wanted to read where Justice Black is on vacation. But I also have all the dates. So Black says, I'm going to look into this and then leaves for Europe three days later for 60 days. He tells anybody if they have an issue to take it up with the supreme court in uh, uh it, it's it's one of the other counties uh he needs to take it up in passaic they need to take it up in passaic county passaic county never takes it up black comes home from europe and he never takes it up so the supreme court knows the 1924 law and i don't want to use the word illegal the 1924 law is not a law the attorney general knows the 1924 law is not a law. But these guys leave this thing on the books anyway. Now, Unreal. what the, what the, the state's going to go, well, no one challenged it. It's been on the books for so long, it's just a law. And, and that, like if you're a lawyer, that is standing procedure for something like that, right? But here's the problem. Why would anyone in New Jersey challenge the concealed carry law in 1924? Because all you had to do was carry openly. So, like you guys know, you guys know, you were just talking about CNJFO funding the uh, uh, funding the bill. You guys are involved with uh, ANGRPC. You guys know how much these court cases cost. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's unbelievable. So why would anyone in 1924? Take the state of New Jersey to court over the over the concealed carry law because all you had to do is carry openly uh, until sixty six, right? True. And by sixty six, it's too late. You can't challenge it then in sixty six. But the point is this: the twenty four law, which the sixty six law is based on, right? Still said in the A one sixty five debate, you still have to get a permit like you always have. You just have to get it for. You just have to get it for open carry now. And that was just so he get a background check on every permit. But the point is, the 24 law was never presumptively lawful, right? And so when the government starts talking about, oh, well, our concealed law is presumptively lawful because it's been on the books since 1924. Not to Justice Thomas. 
That's the exact same thing. What they did with that 1924 law is the exact same thing that Birmingham, Alabama did to Fred Shuttlesworth. They just, they just decided they were going to push their illegal law through or deal with the law illegally. It's the same thing. And so that's super important that we understand that the law really starts in 1924. So they can't even claim... 1924. Not that it matters because 1924 is what? It, it is 150 years, 133 years after 1791. Mm -hmm. So this is why, you know, Sandy, do you remember when we first met and Anthony said something about like Jay looks at it in a completely different way? Yeah. And, and this is why when, when we come on here and we talk about history, like the history is so important and, and and maybe back when we were when we were doing the Cheeseman case in 2016, I was a little bit of a heretic at the time. I think by 28, <laughs> right? I think by 2018, it started sinking in that the history matters. But look, look how Bruin was decided. Bruin was decided on the history matters. And so here, what we've got is we've got the 24 law was illegal to begin with. The 1991 administrative code was for police officers only because of government liability, right? And so when we get into 2024, the C-Care protocol is brand new law from 200 plus years, 220 years after, after 1791. And so when I say, okay, if you're just a guy who doesn't read Patterson's Laws and doesn't read Heller every day, doesn't read Bruin, and doesn't understand Catano, and doesn't read McDonald, right? Like like most guys. Like, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to that. You're our nerd, though. Yeah, but what I'm saying <laughs> is it's easier for those guys to pay to take C-Care Protocol than to go to court because it costs 500 times more to go to court to argue I don't have I already took HCQ1 I shouldn't have to take C-Care mm -hmm. protocol. Now for me it's different because I can go to court and just like I'm talking to you I can throw all these dates and numbers and page numbers from page numbers from at the administrative code of the New Jersey Register plus I have all the evidence documented with these old newspaper articles. I clip them all. I save everything as a PDF. And I save everything as a JPEG. And so I can just print out an appendix that's got all this stuff in it. And so for me, if the prosecutor... So I've already written the brief. Oh, this is important. Remember how you guys were talking about everybody had to meet... What was, what was the deadline? December 30th? December 31st? To, December 31st, midnight. December yep. 31st. So today at midnight. Okay. There's a lot of talk, and, and, and lawyers love to say this stuff, and then we hear it and we repeat it. Uh, your police chief's going to send you a letter and repeal your license. The prosecutor is going to send you a letter and repeal your license. This is super important to understand. The only way a police chief or a prosecutor can take away your license is if you, is if you commit a violation of the disqualifiers of 2C58-3, right? If, if you get uh, pulled over drunk driving and they charge you as an alcoholic, if you get pulled over and you've got a pocket full of uh, illegal drugs and they charge you as a drug user, 
um, domestic violence, all, you know what all the other disqualifiers are, right? Have you ever advocated yep. overthrowing the government? All, all those. That's the only way that they can take away your permit. For anything else, and this is written in, the, in 2C58-4, for anything else, the prosecutor has to apply to the county court and the judge from the county court has to revoke your license. So when I say that, you don't have to give your license to the prosecutor if the prosecutor sends you a letter and says your police chief notified us that you haven't turned your C-care protocol in. Now, that being said, you need to lawyer up at that time because most guys can't go into court and defend this. But the rule, the law, is that the prosecutor has to apply to the county court and then under under I think it's that same Harmon case then the county court has to give you a hearing to take away your permit and so what I'm saying is even though C-Care protocols written into law for December 31st 2023 you could go back and make this argument that the government is not allowed to use live fire qualifications after brewing that your FID card is your carry permit because that under Heller is your qualified card do you understand that oh yeah I understand that so how many people do you think are gonna get hit from their police chief or the prosecutor with a letter that says they lost their they've lost their carry permit for not filing their seat care you know, it's interesting. I don't know if it's going to be they're going to lose it. I think they're going to get a letter saying they have to, like, Requal you can't her. carry yeah. until you go and do the recall. That's what I think. I think most police chiefs are just going to, if the police chiefs even follow up on it, it's going to say, I just, you know, I'm going to, you can't carry until you get the uh, the new qual. That's, that's what my tact on it. What about me? What about you? You think on January 2nd I'm going to get a certified letter that says uh, I didn't file on December 31st? Uh, no, I don't think you're going to get a letter at all. Uh, well, your chief, is he's a pain in the ass, right? Actually, my chief is a really good guy. Oh, okay. I, I, he, remember, when I applied, he got me out in 49 days. I can't figure out what's happening with these young... This happened with my son, too. It has to be the firearm processor. And this goes back to, this goes back to the problem with the law. Right, and they remember these guys raised the fees because they said they needed this money. The problem in and, it's, and, and I'm going to use my town as an example. My town is a postage stamp. You know, there are nights we have one cop working. <laughs> That's true. Right. Right. So, uh, you live in Alabama, Sandy. Right, Alabama. Right. Yep. It's the same way down there, right? You don't have 900 guys on the police force. You got one, one or two guys working. Well, it's, I live in a pretty big town, so. Okay. All right, but for. For Fairhaven, the guy who is the firearms permit processor, that's not his full-time job. He's a policeman. So he's actually getting scheduled to work as a policeman eight hours a day in a 24-hour shift. And then somewhere in that eight hours, he's supposed to process all these handgun carry permits, a 2C58-3 FID card application, a 2C58-3A permit to purchase applications. And so I know what's happening. He comes in, he's got five or six to do. He, he, might, he might run the SBI check on those five. 
And then he goes and does his job. And then he comes back. When the state police gets back to him with the SBI check, then he runs the SPO66 mental health consent form. And that takes a couple weeks to come back. Then when he's done with that, then he does, then he does the, the references. And that's why this thing starts to fester and take time. Because they don't have an eight-hour day where they just sit down and process permits. So I do feel bad for my local police. I do like my local police, but I do think the same crap that happened to me in 2006 where they held up my permit for two years is still going on. Not, oh, because, yeah. not because they're bad guys, not because they're anti-Second Amendment. I know, I know for a fact my, our, our firearm permit process is pro-Second Amendment. I, I, know he ha I know he owns another. It's because there's not, they don't get paid enough to have a full-time firearms processor and see that that's the problem with the system. The system SILS designed in 66 was they wanted to have local knowledge on these guys. But what we got to remember is New Jersey hasn't kept up with the times. Once we have the SBI number, that SBI number is linked to the FBI database. It's linked to the New Jersey Investigation Unit's database. All those databases are linked. So when they run that SBI number, that's instant now. That, yep. uh, to, and, and look, you don't... Like, if you go back and you read that Arizona amicus brief, some of those 43 states, uh, I'm going to almost say none, none of those 43 other states have the FID card, which goes back to this. You could really run a carry permit with a NICS check. Cause it's 100%. The same, it's 100%. the same database. And I'm not talking about the NICS check you're doing right now. <coughs> Anthony, no. where are you guys right now on NICS? How many days? Like four days behind because it's okay. the not-so-instant background check. Right. The Attorney General inserted the state police as a middleman right. for our system. Well, which is one of the reasons that NICS is going to fall. NICS is going to oh, fall. Oh, it's going to fall. It's going to yes. fall for two reasons. First of all, it's redundant with the, with the FID card, right? They've already done the background check, so once you have that SBI number, you don't need another NICS check. And the government doesn't get to, get to recheck you every week or every two weeks or every three weeks. They get to check you once. But the reason that NICS is going to fall is there's a provision in there. And again, you got, you got to follow the particulars in the statutes. All, not all of it. <coughs> the money from NICS goes to pay the guys who work there, right? Yep, sixteen dollars to the state. There, there's a guy. There's a guy on syndicate. His name is Hunter Al Alfonso, Alfuso. Hunter Alfuso. This this guy has done what I did, but with background check freeze, and he's tracked all the money down yep. with Freedom of Information Act requests. Yep, millions, and I multiple millions of dollars, and I don't know his numbers off the top of my head but multiple millions of dollars in surplus. Guess what the state police does with that money? It's written, it's written in the statute. The, the leftover money from non-criminal history background checks, which is the SBI 212A, which is where the, uh, the NICS money goes into the same fund, non-criminal non history background checks, goes to buy state police cars. Yep. Yeah. So they're funding buying themselves new cars with Second Amendment money. And here, here's the problem. Let's go back to 66. Sills terminology in 66 is the fit elements of society. The, the law is designed to provide, to have minimal burdens on the fit elements of society and weed out the unfit elements of society, okay? So Burton's fit elements of society is Heller's law-abiding responsible citizens. 
but that's already been done. They don't need to do it again. See, Bruin mm -hmm. said, Bruin said, you got one check, so they could get rid of the FID card. They could get rid of the two C fifty eight dash three A permit to purchase and just have the FI uh, and just have the next check, or which I, I think is going to happen. I think they just keep the FID card. They get rid of the two C fifty eight dash four carry permit. Your carry permit is your FID card. It's it's low hanging fruit, uh, as Scott Box said in last week's show. We're just waiting for the three big cases, and we're waiting for some more decisions uh, in the lower courts before they go after that low hanging fruit. Uh, so, Jay, on the care protocol, the the C care protocol, this is what the statute says. It says that. Uh, Individuals who need to requalify until December 31st, 2023 to complete the requested training to comply with the law. Failure to requalify will render the applicable individual's permit to carry invalid. So the way I read it is that your, your permit is invalid. It's not revoked until you do the requalify. So if you miss the deadline, they don't list what other ramifications are. So if anybody out there missed the deadline, go out there January 2nd and requalify immediately and give it to your police department to put in their folder. But I would not carry until you uh, requalify. Yeah. Now, again, I'm not a lawyer, and that's not legal no, advice. That's how I'm interpreting it. You're reading it right. And so what you're saying is I get pulled over because my taillight's out. I didn't file C-Care protocol. I have to show him my carry permit. He says, are you carrying right now? I say, yes. And they go, uh, you didn't turn in your C-Care protocol. This permit's invalid. We're, arresting, we're arresting you for uh, violating... That's, that's how possession. I read it. I'm hoping that the 22 county prosecutors read it the same way. I so people aren't going to carry until they get their seat care protocol. I think you're right. I, I hope right. so. So, Jay, we're getting close to the wire. Let's wrap it up. Uh, uh, Jay will be at the Friends of NRA dinner with uh, your wife's name is Jen, right? Yeah. With his wife, Jen, and uh, a, a group of people. I think they're tables of 10, October 2nd. Jay, wrap it up before Sandy cuts you off. And Happy New Year, everybody. And I can't thank you enough for being one of our heavy lifters. You've helped hundreds of people with your circular letters that you've uh, been uh, uh, outputting so much since the Carry First, you know, post-Bruin came out. And just being someone to post and post videos online and uh, being a voice of reason. And, again, looking at it from a different angle than the lawyers look at things. Sandy's always said that the greatest medical marvels have come from people that were looked outside the box. Uh, and my favorite quote is, only dead fish go with the flow. Because when somebody tells me I can't do something, I do it. And I tend to always run in the opposite direction of other people in the firearms industry. So I think you're also one of those people that is, you know, for lack of a better term, a disruptor. And that, that, that doesn't mean you make everybody happy in the legal field in our 2A community, but it's always nice to see another angle. Sandy, would you agree to that? Absolutely. You know, hammer in the anvil is quite effective. You can't just have an anvil. You've got to right. have a hammer, too. Yeah, that's right. Okay? So, Jay, or we can't just have a cruise ship. We need a speedboat that can turn quickly on a dime and think differently. I believe every angle and every tact complements each other, and it shouldn't be where we look at it it's as, a, as an us and them. The yeah. us and them is the anti-gunners and us, the pro-gun people. That's right. It shouldn't be within our own group where we're fighting that way. So, And I've always been that guy that guy big picture guy and look at the wins we've gotten so far who would have thought jay two years 
ago, we'd Come be even in. having this discussion that oh, we man. have probably yeah. 50, 60, 80,000 people carrying in New Jersey already. Right. We would have taken right. C-Care protocol standing on our heads. Correct, right. correct. Right. So, Jay, wrap it up for me, for Jay, uh, for, uh, for what's his name over there in Alabama? I forgot his name already. <laughs> well, I'll say this. Bastard. It's getting better. Don't get frustrated. This thing has gotten progressively better every month from where we were, like you said, in 2018, right? And so if you're frustrated, that just means that you have to donate to the groups. And you guys know who the groups are, right? CNJFO, NGRPC, FPC, NRA. You have to donate to these groups that are fighting these cases because the we have to knock this off piecemeal one problem at a time. We can't just knock the whole thing out. And so... Donate to the groups and spend your money wisely. And I think I hate C Care Protocol, but you should spend your money on training. And every if if you guys take that from this show, then then it's a good show. Yep, Sandy. Yup. Thank you very much, Jay. It's always a pleasure. You've uh, looks like you've done it again. <laughs> All of you. Good. You've wasted yet another perfectly good hour listening to Gunfire Radio. Gunfire Radio is a kind of think media production. Music is in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. On behalf of our show host, Master Trainer Anthony Colangelo, author of Crime Proof, Think Like a Criminal and Beat Them at Their Own Game, which he failed to mention again this week. I mentioned it. You did one time. It wasn't good enough. I mentioned it. Which is available wherever great books are sold and at the gun shop, bookshop, gun range. There is Gun for Hire, where Jay and his entire family goes to shoot. Bypassing, by the way, many, many other ranges, I must say, because I used to live right near him. His wife won't go in the bathrooms of any other range. That's no. true, yes, and nor should she. <laughs> and we love you guys from the shadows of the New York City skyline and the beautiful Gulf Shores in Alabama, uh, where it is still warm and sunny. We love you guys. God willing, Jesus Towers and the batteries hold out. We will see you again next week. Sweet home Alabama, oh sweet home Alabama.